0: Love, talk, radio.
1: This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving Live. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. That's 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's get this show on the road. Hi there. Welcome to the program. This is the inaugural edition of Collaborative Problem Solving Live. If you're trying to implement the collaborative problem solving approach or struggling to help a challenging kid in your classroom or school, or if you're a parent trying to get your child's school to apply the CPS model, these are your 45 minutes. Every week, this is your chance to ask questions about the CPS model and How it can be applied in a school or classroom, along with anything else you'd like to talk about related to helping kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges at school. One of the nice things about this program format is it allows for audience participation, so once again, if you have a question or comment, feel free to use the call-in number, 646-727-2691, and I'll get you into the program as quickly as I can. How's it going with collaborative problem-solving out there these days? I thought I'd start the show with one of the many emails I've received recently, this one from a school psychologist. Here's what it reads, I'm a school psychologist who strongly believes in CTS, but I'm having some difficulty changing the paradigm of classroom teachers who have challenging kids in their classrooms. Many are ostensibly willing to try something new, but often follow-through is lacking and frustration is apparent. In a recent situation, out of district placement is being discussed for a child who just needs someone to understand. I wonder if there is something I am missing when suggesting CPS to staff. I offer to work with them. I offer to meet with them and the student. I observe the students. I meet with them independently and have what I think are helpful conversations about the real sources of behavior issues. I'm looking to gain some insight into guiding teachers towards CPS as a valuable tool and I would greatly appreciate any assistance that might be forthcoming well this is a um this is not an unusual uh, email that I received here and let's talk about some aspects of it very specifically though um, if you don't want to have collaborative problem solving proposed to a teacher from out of the blue unless you're going at it as the lone ranger um, collaborative problem solving is best done as something that an entire school uh, takes on. And then this isn't sort of a shot in the dark with one teacher. Not that I'm allergic to such a thing, not that a shot in the dark with an individual teacher would be catastrophic, just that the show would be nice if it didn't feel like it was coming from out of the blue for a teacher. And I agree that many are ostensibly willing to try something new But if it's coming at them from out of the blue, number one, this is gonna be brand new for them. And they're gonna feel like they're going at this alone. They're gonna wonder how it's consistent with the existing school discipline program. In fact, collaborative problem solving often is not what the traditional school discipline program tells classroom teachers they ought to be doing with challenging kids. Uh, Of course, that's part of the problem. But that also explains why often follow-through is lacking. And it often explains why frustration is apparent. Collaborative problem solving doesn't work right away. Uh, Collaborative problem solving, as I always say, plan B is a process, not a technique. So if somebody is brand new to collaborative problem solving, they've never heard of it before, and it's just being introduced to them, well, um, who knows what they're going to think about it. But if it's like a lot of things related to how to handle kids' challenging behavior these days, um, possible to present collaborative problem solving and plan B as if it's a technique. And that, of course, is not the best way to go at it because, quite frankly, plan B only makes sense if people have the theoretical underpinning, why is this kid challenging, what factors are coming into play to cause him to become challenging in the first place. Uh, Then plan B makes perfect sense. But if plan B is introduced people to people, classroom teachers, parents, anybody, as Uh, just plan B, all they're really hearing about, then they're going to think it's a technique, potentially. And also, potentially, they're going to think it's supposed to work really quickly, almost like magic. Plan B is not magic. Plan B brings crucial ingredients to the table that are essential. If you want to understand why a challenging kid is challenging and help him work towards solutions to the unsolved problems That are reliably and predictably causing his challenging episodes. And just by way of review, for those of you who aren't as familiar with collaborative problem solving as you might wish, there's basically three ways to approach unsolved problems with challenging kids. Uh, One is Plan A, that's when you're imposing your will or using unilateral problem solving. Plan B is when you're doing what we're going to be talking about a lot on this program, collaborative problem solving. Plan C is when you're dropping an unsolved problem completely, at least for now. And once again, as we always say, Plan C sometimes sounds like giving in to people, but really Plan C is prioritizing. It's just you've come to the recognition that you can't solve all of the problems on the kids' list of unsolved problems. You're going to be able to solve some of them at a time. And uh, those that you've decided you're not working on right now, those go into Plan C. But of course, the plan that is central to collaborative problem solving is plan B, and this is where three ingredients are being brought to the table. Ingredient number one that I've historically referred to as the empathy step, that's where you're getting the kid's concern or perspective on the table, and the premium in the empathy step is on gathering information so as to understand the kid's concern or perspective on the unsolved problem you're talking with them about as clearly as possible. So although it's called the empathy step, empathy is actually not the main ingredient of the empathy step. Information gathering is the main ingredient. Understanding is the ingredient. We want to get the clearest possible picture of the kid's concern and perspective on this particular unsolved problem that we're trying to talk with them about. The second ingredient is where the adult is getting their concern or perspective on the table on the same unsolved problem. And the third ingredient is where the two parties, and of course this doesn't have to be kid and adult it could be kid and kid it could be adult and adult sure we'll be talking about that in future programs but in this case it's where the kid and the adult perhaps his teacher perhaps his guidance counselor perhaps his school psychologist are brainstorming solutions so as to address the concerns of both parties that's collaborative problem solving why are you doing this why are you doing collaborative problem solving instead of unilateral problem solving Because unilateral problem-solving doesn't solve problems durably, and unilateral problem-solving, Plan A, actually causes a lot of the worst moments of kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges. Plan A doesn't teach any of the lagging skills that come into play for challenging kids. So you want to be doing Plan B when it's at all possible. That's why you're doing Plan B. But if Plan B, going back to the email that I received from the school psychologist, if Plan B is presented from out of the blue or as a technique, well, people may have expectations from Plan B that it can't deliver on processes. Take a while to work. There's a bunch of things about Plan B that are probably going to take a while. Um, let's see. It may take a little while to understand the kids' concern or perspective on the unsolved problem y'all are talking about. Sometimes adults aren't exactly sure what their concern or perspective might be. It can take a while to come up with solutions that address both concerns, in other words, solutions that are mutually satisfactory, and also concerns that both parties can actually do, both parties can actually execute what they're agreeing to. That can take a while. and Sometimes you don't get through all three ingredients in the first sitting sometimes, People say to me, I've got 12 minutes to do collaborative problem solving with a kid today, so that's four minutes for empathy, four minutes for defining the problem, and four minutes for brainstorming. Yes, no, not necessarily. You might take all 12 minutes in the first setting, sitting on uh, just the empathy step, but I'll say this. If you spend those 12 minutes getting the clearest possible sense of a kid's concern and perspective on a given unsolved problem. I would call that time extremely well spent. Of course, Another reason collaborative problem solving is a process rather than a uh, technique, the first solution is actually unlikely to solve the problem durably. The first solution doesn't solve the problem durably. You're probably going to have to go back to plan B after that and figure out why and come up with solutions that are better than the one you came up with first. Why, Why might the first solution not work durably? Well could be that it wasn't as realistic as we might have thought. Of course, something you want to do as you're on the verge of agreeing to a solution with a kid is to really try to picture him executing what he's agreeing to, really try to picture you agreeing to what you're agreeing to, you executing what you're agreeing to, excuse me. And then uh, if you can't picture it, probably not ready to sign off on that solution. If you're thinking, you know what, I don't, I don't think I can do what I'm agreeing to, Or if you're thinking, I don't think he can do what he's agreeing to, well, then that's probably not a realistic solution, and it's time to start thinking about other solutions that both parties can actually do. Of course, another reason that the solution you agree to may not stand the test of time is because it wasn't mutually satisfactory. In other words, the concerns of both parties may actually not have been addressed, and you may not realize that, by the way, early on. You may not realize that as you're signing off on the solution, sometimes. Solutions seem mutually satisfactory and then aren't as mutually satisfactory as it looked like they were. Another good reason to go back to plan B to try to figure that out. And then there's another reason that uh, the first solution may not stand the test of time. And that is, you know, maybe this is the first time you've discussed this unsolved problem with a kid, whether it's not getting his homework done or talking too much in class or calling out too much in class or having trouble in a circle time or getting in trouble in the hallway or getting in trouble in recess or in the lunchroom or on the school bus, whatever the unsolved problem is, um, the first solution you come up with is a reflection of the information that you gathered in the first two ingredients. And it's possible, if this is the first time you and the kid have talked about this unsolved problem, it's possible that um, you didn't get all the information that there was to be had. Once again, that's not catastrophic um it could be that you didn't drill far enough in the empathy step we're going to talk about drilling uh, either today or in one of the upcoming shows it's possible that there was more information to be had about the kids' concern or perspective on this unsolved problem than was first gathered in the empathy step but since that's the information you gathered the solution is going to be a byproduct of whatever concerns or perspectives were uncovered in the first two ingredients of plan b And if that, for whatever reason, if that information is incomplete, well, the solution probably isn't going to quite get the job done. So um, lots of reasons that plan B is much more of a process than a technique. But now going back to the email that I was talking about, lots of times people are expecting plan B to work on the first time. Lots of times plan B is applied as if it's a technique without really having a good grounding in what it is, why we're doing it in the first place. Um, And then people end up getting frustrated when it doesn't work as well as they thought it would. Um, Why are we doing this in the first place? Once again, the kid is lacking crucial cognitive skills in the generic domains of flexibility, frustration tolerance, and problem solving. That's, his contribution to the school play here. Of course, we have a contribution, too, as as I've been saying frequently these days. It takes two to tango. What makes the kid vulnerable to challenging behavior? He's lacking the skills to meet the demands that are being placed upon him, to respond adaptively to the demands that are being placed upon him. Um, But, of course, that's why it takes two to tango. It's not just that he's lacking skills, It's that demands are being placed upon him for those skills. There's the two that it takes to tango. Challenging kids are vulnerable to challenging behavior because they don't have the skills they need to respond to some of the demands that are being placed upon them. Once again, if if the demands are not being placed upon them for skills they don't have, they're not going to get challenging. If they have the skills to handle demands that are being placed upon them, then we wouldn't expect to see challenging behavior. It's when the demands being placed upon a kid, and not just a kid, anybody, that outstrip the kid's capacity to respond adaptively, that's when we see challenging behavior. Those, that's why kids are challenging. When are they challenging? In these specific conditions in which the definition that I've just given you of challenging behavior is met. In these specific conditions, in other words, in which the demands of the environment have outstripped a kid's capacity to respond adaptively and i've just given you a list of the circumstances under which that can occur of course uh, you never know when that's going to occur but it could be in the hallway it could be at lunch could be at recess could be on the school bus could be during circle time could be on a particular assignment could be getting started could be keeping going on who knows we know that challenging behavior occurs when the demands being placed upon a kid outstrip that kid's capacity to respond adaptively, that's when challenging behavior occurs. And it occurs under specific conditions that in collaborative problem solving I call unsolved problems. So what we're doing is we're making a list of the unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably precipitating challenging episodes in each individual challenging kid. And then we're prioritizing because we know we can't work on everything at once. We're going to put some aside and put them on, in plan C. We're going to pick two or three, and then we're going to get to work doing collaborative problem solving. But a lot of times people don't understand that that's the process that's involved. Crucial for people to understand at a conceptual level why challenging kids are challenging. Lagging skills, demands for those skills. Then plan B makes perfect sense. Crucial for people to understand that those uh, that that's occurring under certain conditions that are called unsolved problems. And then crucially, get organized so that we know what we're working on and we know what we're not working on, and then we've got to get good at plan B. That's why people get frustrated, though. They aren't exactly sure sometimes why they're doing plan B in the first place. The frustration, we, the preferable frustration, if, you, if people have to be frustrated, The kind of frustrated we want them to be is just frustrated and getting good at Plan B. That's, That's frustration that everybody experiences with this model because there's a learning curve on Plan B and it takes some folks longer than others and it takes everybody a little while. We don't want them frustrated because they thought it was going to work really fast. We don't want them frustrated because they aren't even sure why they're doing it in the first place. If people are going to get frustrated using Plan B, we want them to be frustrated just because Plan B is hard to do. Just get to a few other points of this email, and then I do see that we have some uh, people who've called in, and um, I'm going to take those calls in just a second. Um, the next part of the email read: In a recent situation, out-of-district placement is being discussed for a child who just needs someone to understand. Now, I I love that because, um, of course, that's what's lacking in so many places uh, where challenging kids hang out. And I'm not just talking schools here, but inpatient psychiatry units sometimes. Uh, residential facilities, sometimes systems of juvenile detention, sometimes Uh, the first step to helping a challenging kid, and many times I've said that this is the most important step, is to understand why the kid is challenging in the first place. And now you know, lagging skills demands for those skills. It's the clash of the two forces, as I've come to call it. The kid is lacking skills, the environment is demanding those skills. Once again, that's occurring under certain conditions called unsolved problems. But now here's here's the interesting thing. CML says he just needs someone to understand. He needs more than that. He needs someone to understand for sure. Then he needs someone who's able to identify his specific lagging skills so that we really understand specifically. And if you want to find a list of those lagging skills, you can find it on the website of my new nonprofit organization, Lives in the Balance. The website is www.livesinthebalance.org. You want to go to the paperwork section of the website and download the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, or ALSIP. And on the ALSIP you'll see there's a list of the skills frequently found lagging and challenging kids. That's the first part. That's the understanding part. This is a bunch of stuff you won't see written in in the top part of the ALSUP. You won't see manipulative. You won't see limit testing. You won't see coercive. You won't see unmotivated. Uh, you won't really see attention-seeking. You're just going to see a bunch of lagging skills. Once again, that's what makes challenging kid vulnerable to challenging behavior. He's lacking the skills to respond more adaptively. If he could respond more adaptively, he would do, uh, respond more adaptively. Of course, that brings up the core theme of collaborative problem solving, kids do well if they can. If this kid could do well, he would do well. Doing well is always preferable to not doing well, but only if the kid has the skills to pull it off. So that in collaborative problem solving is, to me, what the understanding part looks like, actually putting the legwork into figuring out what skills each challenging kid is lacking and under what circumstances those skills are being demanded. That's the bottom part of the LSIP. Those are the unsolved problems. Once again, once we identify those unsolved problems and prioritize the two or three that we're working on, there's really only one other thing we need to do for this kid, and that's get really good at plan B, and that's the hardest part of collaborative problem solving. That's the part that takes a lot of practice. sounds like this school psychologist is putting a lot of energy in, and, boy, we need more people like that out there. But good intentions aren't going to be enough. Understanding is not going to be enough. The ingredients I've just described are the ones that are most necessary. Let me uh, see if we can take a call here. And because this is the inaugural uh, collaborative problem-solving live program, um, I'm getting used to some new technology here. So let's see if I've got anything mastered here. We're going to... Caller, you're on the air. Can you hear me? I'm speaking to the caller uh, from the last three digits, 3993. Hello. Hello. <laughs>
0: um, I um, uh, hadn't specifically planned a question, so I just dialed in.
1: Oh, you just dialed in to listen to the show? Yes. It's excellent. Thank you. you. Well, let me ask you this. You, number one, you don't, for those of you who are, are listening, m- many of you know that you can do this through the Internet rather than having to dial in to listen. Dialing, to, dialing in to listen is fine, but probably not preferred. Oh, um,
0: okay, great to know.
1: But no worries. You can stay on the line. Um, do you have any questions?
0: Um, not at the moment. I've been, uh, I just printed out the checklist and I thought this is perfect. Um, I'm on the board of a school and have a child. Uh, I'm not an educator, but I've referred this to my child's school, and they're very happy to have this resource. Um, you're talking about,
1: you're talking about the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, no doubt.
0: Yes. So What's I'm the, looking to using that in combination with the school.
1: So you're calling in primarily in your role as a parent, no doubt.
0: Parent, yeah.
1: Got it. And you're trying to try helping to get your school to use the ALSIP to understand your kid better.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: That's an outstanding use of the ALSIP. Um, here's what schools like about the ALSIP. And, you don't. It, it's up to you if you want to keep talking, but maybe you do, maybe you don't. Um, one of the best things about the ALSIP that I find that folks in schools love is it's only one sheet and as I've, as I've been fond of saying lately, it's one single-sided sheet. But as I've been saying a lot, boy, there's a lot of incredible information that you can get from that one single-sided sheet of paper. You can People take 20 to 25 minutes in a school meeting. And by the way, these meetings take place anyway. So although I know that one of the biggest concerns about implementing collaborative problem solving is time, these meetings are taking place already sometimes with parents in them. Uh, And what a beautiful thing it is, by the way, to spend 20 to 25 of those minutes really focusing on why a particular kid is challenging. And of course, that's lagging skills. I've come to call it getting to know the kid um, through the lenses of lagging skills and of course, demands for those skills. And then another 20 to 25 minutes is being spent figuring out the specific conditions under which a kid becomes challenging. Once again, those are are called unsolved problems. So on the ALSIF there's a school section in the unsolved problems section and a home section. If somebody's using this for purposes of home, um, that's the section they'd fill out. If it's school, that's the section they'd fill out. And of course, because challenging kids always surprise us when it comes to what it is that they're challenging about, um, there's an other section that almost always has us writing something in. So we've now taken 40 to 50 minutes of a school meeting. We now have the right lenses on, that's what the lagging skill section does for us, and we've gotten organized so we know what specific conditions, under what specific conditions, a kid is becoming challenging. That's a tremendous amount of information and useful information that we've gathered in 40 to 50 minutes. So only five minutes left in the meeting, let's use those five minutes to um, prioritize what is it that we want to start working on with the kid, two or three unsolved problems, and what are we going to just let go right now because um, we don't want to overwhelm ourselves with too many unsolved problems and we don't want to overwhelm the kid either. And so let me tell you about another form that you may have uh, seen on the website. It's called the Plan B Flowchart. And this is where people are entering the two or three unsolved problems that they're going to be working on with a kid. And... um, They're um, tracking each unsolved problem over time to get a good handle on whether um, whether we've got the kids' concern identified, whether we've got the adult concern identified, the degree to which we've got solutions that we're trying to implement, and the degree to which the solutions are actually working. The Plan B flowchart is for the purpose, and I've done a hot topic on, on this on the uh, Lives in the Balance website as well, uh, the Plan B flowchart keeps unsolved problems from going into hibernation, because um, here's what tends to happen. Uh, kid acts up over unsolved problem number one on Monday. Uh, people talk about it with him, process it with him. That's admirable. And while Plan B does involve talking and processing, there's a lot of talking and processing that goes on with challenging kids that doesn't apply the ingredients of Plan B. And so lots of unsolved problems remain unsolved. So maybe on Tuesday of the same week, the kid has a, a good day. and I would call that lucky. Then on Wednesday, a different unsolved problem pops up. It gets talked about and processed, but the ingredients of Plan B are not applied. On Thursday... He's, got a, he's had a good day. And then on Friday, yet another unsolved problem pops up, talked about, processed, not resolved. We now have three unsolved problems that have gone into hibernation. And they're coming out of hibernation probably the next week. The Plan B flow chart is aimed at helping us keep problems from going into hibernation. Um, they help us keep track of each problem until it's seen through to a successful resolution, that's what the plan B flowchart is for. So I know that our caller has left us, but I hope she finds both forms to be extremely useful. We seem to I'm not sure about the technology We seem to have another caller. Uh, let's see if we actually do. The caller, you're on the air. Are you there? Hello. I think not. Well, um we'll have to master this technology at some point along the way. I'm going to my first show doing this, so we're going to have to see uh, how we figure this out, but Um, Let's talk a little bit about what it is about how Plan B is hard for you. Uh, I've drawn up a list of the different ways in which Plan B can go awry, and I'm going to post it on the Lives in the Balance website soon. Once again, that's www.livesinthebalance.org. A bunch of different things that people struggle with when they're applying the ingredients of uh, Plan B. Um, all of them related to the empathy step, the define the problem step, the invitation. Take a look at what some of those uh, plan B vulnerabilities, as I've come to call them. And by the way, you know that you're making good headway on implementing plan B if you've become aware of the ways in which plan B is going awry for you. So here's a few of them, and once again, this will be posted on the Lives in the Balance website uh, in the next uh, week or so. Uh, here's, here's one thing, poor planning. Um, you didn't make an appointment with the kid. You're over-relying on emergency plan B, or you're using plan B as a last resort. Um, those of you who've been trying plan B out there in uh, collaborative problem-solving territories know that the preferred form of plan B is proactive plan B. This is where you're actually making an appointment with the kid uh, to do plan B in a planful, proactive manner. The advantage there, of course, is, well, there's many advantages. One advantage, not interrupting your class, to do plan B with the kid. Um, There's no added heat. Emergency plan B, which takes place right as an unsolved problem has set challenging behavior in motion yet again. Um, uh, Emergency plan B has added heat, and emergency B, you don't have much time not that you've got all day to do Proactive Plan B, but at least you've set aside 10, 12, 15 minutes to do Proactive Plan B with a kid. And um, it's under calmer circumstances, generally speaking. Uh, As I've always said, one of the great challenges facing our schools as it relates to school discipline is to become much more proactive in our approach to school discipline. So often in our schools... Um, discipline is emergent and reactive, and the idea is for discipline to be proactive. Um, boy, there's so many things that are done in the heat of the moment, and those are that's never the best time to intervene. So that, of course, begs the million-dollar question. Everybody wants to know the answer to this question: When, if I'm going to do proactive Plan B, when am I going to do it with this challenging kid? Uh, where am I going to find the time? Um, the time issue is addressed in one of the hot topics uh, on the Lives in the Balance website. But um, when are you going to do it? Well, there's some logical times before school, after school, during recess, if the kid will do it then, during lunch, prep time, uh, when the rest of the class is busy working on something else. Um, I haven't met the assistant principal or principal yet who, hasn't, who isn't willing to provide coverage for a teacher who needs to do Plan B with a kid. Now, I've always said that, but I was in a a school up in uh, Minneapolis last week doing some consulting work, and some of the teachers said, listen, I don't want coverage. I think my class is gonna fall apart if I have coverage. Coverage is not the ideal for my classroom. And that's a school that needs to give some thought to how they're going to create time to do Plan B, because these teachers were telling me, And that's, by the way, a school issue, not just an individual teacher issue. Once people start to get the hang of Plan B, this becomes a very important topic of discussion in many buildings where people are saying, listen, I think I'm starting to get the hang of it. I'm getting pretty good at it, but I'm having trouble finding the time to do it. I'm flat out. I don't have uh, chunks of time in my day to do proactive Plan B with my students. I do have time to fill out the ALSEP. Uh, before school or after school or in my spare time, but I don't have time to do Plan B. Now that becomes a discussion um, for the entire school. Uh, but the reality is, unless we create the time to start better helping the challenging kids in our midst, the bottom line is we're gonna keep losing them. We can't let time be the reason we keep losing so many challenging kids. Um, There's too many kids who could be helped if we could just create the mechanisms for helping them. And as I've been saying in some of my talks recently, um, some of the schools that I work with, with, by no means all, but many, they actually feel like mental health clinics. And and in fact, our school systems, our public schools are the biggest mental health system in North America.
0: Uh,
1: Some schools feel that way more than others, but there's certainly some schools that feel much more like a mental health clinic than they do like a center of education. That's because in those schools, they are seeing everything. Every psychiatric disorder you could possibly see. They're seeing trauma, they're seeing neglect. Um, They also have statewide high stakes testing hanging over their heads. Impossible circumstances, many people feel. And um, I only know one remedy as it relates to finding the way to help the challenging kids in those buildings, and that is We've got to create the time. Uh, We've got to be really keenly aware of what's walking in the door and what those kids need from us and create mechanisms in our buildings for having the time to give these kids the help they need. Otherwise, we just keep losing them and what a pity that is. Some other uh, ways in which Plan B can go awry. Non-neutral observations in the empathy step. the empathy step the goal of the empathy step is to get the kid talking so that you can get as much information as you can possibly get on his concern or perspective on the unsolved problem you're talking to him about right now and there's certainly non-neutral ways to start the empathy step that are going to cause kids to just clam up right away that neutral observation that kicks off the empathy step that you may have read about in lost at school or the explosive child that uh that observation has to be neutral, otherwise he won't talk to you. So if we're saying things like, um, I've noticed you don't care, I've noticed you don't wanna do well, Uh, anything along those lines that make the kid say to himself, see, this adult just doesn't get it, that's uh, not neutral and um, he's not gonna talk to you. The goal of the empathy step is to get the kid talking. Another very, very common Plan B vulnerability, something that people have trouble staying away from, and this is uh, very common, is oversteering toward preordained solutions in the empathy step. Um, Lots of adults go into collaborative problem solving and into the empathy step thinking they already know what the kid's concern is, and they steer the ship heavily in the direction of their own concerns, Uh, excuse me, of the concerns that they Thought were the kids' concerns. And um, maybe they weren't the kids' concerns. And so the boat starts heading in that direction because the adults had preconceived notions about the kids' concerns. Well, you've got to go into the empathy step with a pretty open mind. It's OK to have hypotheses, but you don't want to oversteer the ship. You want to let the process of the empathy step unfold so that you are truly getting the kids' concern or perspective on the table. I'm going to continue with a few more of these uh, in a little bit, but I'm going to seeing that some of our callers want to talk, so let's let's put some people back on the air here. I'm going to click here. Uh, you're on the air. Hello? Hello, yeah.
0: Is that me? It's you. Hi. Um, first of all, I, I found your website today. It was really good. I liked it, but I was not able to get onto only the first video I was able to get onto. So do ah. you think how, um, if that's just a technical problem? Or, or well, we're, I, trying
1: to, we're, try, we're trying to figure it out. Some people okay. told me that they had to adjust their pop-up settings.
0: Okay, right. I tried. I was able to get the first video. That's why I didn't think it was my problem, maybe. I don't know. Yep. The rest of the some videos I weren't
1: have, able to. Not, Some people have told me that um, there are certain Internet browsers that are having more trouble than others. I've been told that Firefox runs them all great. If you want to download okay. Firefox. Okay. Um, those are the things that people are – and sometimes people need the most current version of Flash to play them. Okay. Those are the reasons I'm hearing uh, – and once again, technology tends not to be my gig. Um, <laughs> so I'm relying on other people to tell me what could be going uh, wrong. Um, but um, those are the things I'm being told are okay, – in the way so, okay i'll
0: try those but i have another question before you go
1: ahead go.
0: Sure. um it, is an explosive child one who could be explosive at home but not in school
1: that's the prototypical explosive child and of course just just as one note um, i've actually moved away from the word explosive i know the book is called explosive and that's fine um i've tended to call them challenging okay um just just because explosive leaves out the leaves out the implosive ones And, um, of course, I think collaborative problem-solving is just as effective for the kids who are anxious or depressed or withdrawn uh, as it is for kids who are blowing up. Um, The prototypical explosive kid is blowing up at home and not at school. And a lot of people want to know why. Is that what you're wondering? Why? Yes,
0: yes.
1: And, and of course, the the longer version of that question is if he's – If I'm right that it's lagging skills that are setting the stage, that leave challenging kids vulnerable to challenging behavior, then why only in some places and not in others? Remember the two to tango part. It's not just that he's lacking skills. It's that the environment is demanding those skills under certain specific conditions. And sometimes those conditions are more common at home than at school. Uh, Generally speaking, homes can't be anywhere nearly as structured as schools are. For some challenging kids, the structure of school actually works for them. It makes school a much more manageable place for them. Uh, Sometimes kids are medicated during school hours, but the medication has worn off by the time they get home, another potential reason. But perhaps the most common reason is that some challenging kids are able to put forth massive amounts of energy, mostly because of what I've come to call the embarrassment factor, They're able to hold it together at school. And by the way, most of us look better outside the home than we do in it, so I don't find this to be terribly unusual. And then because they can't put that energy forth into holding it together 24 hours a day, uh, they tend to start blowing up when they get home. So those are some of the reasons that occur to me as the reasons why we might be seeing this under some conditions and not others. But challenging behavior is conditional. there are only some circumstances that place demands on a kid that exceed his capacity to respond adaptively. And a lot of the time, there's more of those at home than there are at school. Does that help? Yes, thank you very much. You bet. I'm going to take one more call, and that might end up doing it for the day because we've only got four minutes left. But um, last four digits are 7879. You're on the air.
0: Hello? Hello? Yep. Hello. Hello? Uh, my question you began to cover uh, to some extent, and that is really getting the, the true feelings and concerns of the child expressed. Uh, I have a, an 8-year-old, almost 8-year-old grandson. He has problems at school and at home, but it is sometimes difficult for us to, uh, <clears throat> in, in an effort to stay neutral, in an effort not to lead him, in, in an effort not to suggest something that he'll agree to, he has a terrific vocabulary, but has great difficulty, at some, in some cases, uh, expressing what he's feeling. Okay, so
1: let me ask you some specific questions. And we only have three minutes remaining in the show, and my understanding is that this baby cuts off the minute the, th- <laughs> the time expires. So I don't want you to get cut off, but let's, let's hang with it as long as we can. Sound good? Okay. Tell me what, give me an example of an unsolved problem that you're working on with this little kid
0: okay at school uh, they have an after school program and he did fine during school hours but I got a call to come and pick him up because after school he got into a situation as he told it to me wanted to play tennis and he wanted to play with a certain kid but they arranged a different uh, pairing and Uh But when I talked with them, they were not able to really understand what had caused him to explode and became physical and aggressive and they had to restrain him. Got it. Well, I mean, so so
1: you're pretty certain he, he's the one who let you know that that's what the problem was that set him off?
0: Yes, he told me, but then there are other situations at home too where we have difficulty um, really understanding what what really set him off. And maybe we just need to get more observant. Maybe we need to be better.
1: um, Well, I would say maybe. And uh, I would, you know what, we're going to get cut off in about a minute. And I want to um, make sure you call back next week because this would be a great uh, thing to discuss further next week. Remember, you want to be as specific about the unsolved problems as you can possibly be. So you're absolutely right. You're going to want to be a really good observer. You're going to want to pay close attention to these specific situations in which he becomes challenging, which he gets upset. And those are the things you're going to want to talk to him about. Those are the things that you're going to want to um, talk with him about specifically, one unsolved problem at a time, and proactively. Um, So let me ask you, is that how you've been going at it, or, or are you right? Do you need to become a little bit more observant?
0: Well, um, I'm a grandfather who has responsibility for this grandchild a lot of the time. My daughter and I are really both beginning to try to use uh, CPS, and, you know, we have a lot to learn. And um, I I can only speak for myself. I try very hard not to suggest an answer that would be easy for him to agree to, and then I don't get to the real answer. the real reason. So I'm I'm having difficulty developing the skill there, I
1: guess. Got it. So here's what I would suggest. And we've only got about 30 uh, 15 seconds left. You want to do the empathy step only in your next attempt at plan B. Don't think about any solutions. Just try to under try, just try to drill so that you can get your grandson's concern or perspective on the table. Okay. Call back call back next week and let me know how it went.
0: Okay. Thank you very much.
1: You bet. That's going to do it for today. Thank you so much for joining in for today's show. We're on every week, 3.30 Eastern Time. Talk to you then. This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving Live. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern